podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio, with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms, and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, and welcome to another episode of Media Matters for Anfield Index. Despite the hysteria over Kevin De Bruyne's return, financial fair play, and all the other things in the headlines, the one thing we'd implore you to remember, the Reds are top of the league still. They've got one foot towards the Carabao semi-final, just one foot because there's an away leg to navigate the transfer talk or not as the case may be the title talk or not dependent on when you think of it and i'm pleased as ever to be joined by the renowned and the respected david lynch to walk us all through it so david how are we yeah very good enjoying this little brief winter break so that's that's quite a nice nice change I haven't had that for a while so yeah yeah it does feel weird it almost feels like the eye of the storm type of thing it's nice and quiet before it's just gonna ramp up to the craziness as it were and I'm almost rewinding you here a bit but it was a good result like we said we've got one foot into a Carabao final they're still on the way leg at Craven Cottage to negotiate but we go there with a slender lead after a 2-1 victory we were down early to a, a Willian strike it didn't quite look at it shall we say but it's a familiar tale as subs in the form of Nunes and Gakpo come on and make an impact and the Reds take, a, say, a very slender lead to Craven Cottage. I mean, it was an interesting game, probably a way to, to paraphrase it, but looking back, how did you actually view the overall performance of the side? Yeah, well, I mean, a great mental strength and, 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 and tactical now for the manager to, to change it late in the game again. Um, you know, we'll change it even from half-time, I think, in terms of how Liverpool played, but it, you know, I think at some point they're probably going to have to play well in the first half. That would be kind of nice. You know, we can't probably shy away from the negatives of the first half. It's it's, it's worth reflecting on those at times. And I thought Liverpool kind of seemed a little bit surprised by Fulham, which, you know, considering how well they played at Anfield in that 4-3 recently, and Liverpool kind of lucky to win that with the, the quality of the goals they scored and not creating a, like a humongous amount of chances. Um, yeah, they seem kind of shocked that Fulham were willing to press them and be physical all around the pitch, and that they got pace and quality. Um, so that was kind of yeah, that 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 that's a frustrating element of the performance. He, he, and you can't you can't completely sort of shy away from that. I think it's it is worth noting that, and and you know the manager and the players maybe getting that wrong. But again, you know the the huge positives are there at the end, and that they they go on to play so much better in the second half and. You know, in the end, absolutely deserve to to win the game with with what they do in the second half. Thought you know, unfortunate really not to to come away with a better lead. Um, I just think the manager's the best in the world at the moment in, t- in terms of changing things when things are going against him. Um, you know, it was, it was a brave move, I kind of I, I suppose to to leave that firepower on the bench in in Gakpo and Nunez. Um, 
and you always have that benefit then of bringing them on and, and that completely changes things. But also sort of tactically, how he switches things around and just, you're just always giving the opposition something to think about and, and he does it again this time. And as I say, I think, you know, that, that second half performance was right up there and, 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 and fully deserved to, to win. If, you know, if not 2-1, then maybe 3-1 even because of, you know, the, the, the yeah. chances he created. But the, 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 the main objective obviously was to, to not necessarily blow Fulham away, though. That would have been nice. It was to, to take an advantage to Craven Cottage and that sets Liverpool up then to, to maybe play that second game a little bit more on the counter and really close the spaces. And that is exactly where you want to be away from home in a, in a second leg. Yeah, because they're, they're going to have to force it at some point if they can't get the great breakthrough early, which is, yeah, especially with our speed, that's where you hope it will come to fruition in that way. I mean, it was interesting. There was a there was a few contenders here, I think it's fair to say, but who did you give man of the match to in your personal opinion? I thought Nunes was the one who changed the game completely in terms of, I think he comes on, does he have four shots, which is yeah. joint, joint level with Jota, who'd been on the pitch for pretty much all the game. Um, that, you know, shows how much influence he had. Um, you know, he, he gets that really nice assist, which is great to see. So I thought he he was the, the key really for me because he, he really gave Fulham something to think about in terms of, because he was so different to what was on the pitch before him in terms of pure pace and power, that, that, that running behind and, um, I thought he did. Yeah, I thought he was the sort of game changer and potential man of the match. But obviously, want to put and, and I've written pieces about a piece about this last week about Gakpo up there as well. You know, they changed things in tandem between themselves. They were absolutely key together, really. And I think as much as Nunes, as I say, was was my man of the match in the way that he he is overall threat and, and the way he changed the game. I thought Gakpo was a very very close second for me. Yeah, it's interesting. And Curtis Jones had his moments. Connor Bradley, which we'll come to as well, got a lot, a lot of praise quite rightly. I mean, I, I know you wrote about Cody Gakpo. It's an interesting one because he scores the second one, the winner, and the chant from the cop, as you were there, we were both there, goes up for Nunes, Nunes, but Gakpo scored. Is there a is there a danger maybe that just because there's a lot of focus on the likes of Diaz and maybe his struggles, the Nunes whole situation... Is Cody Gakpo, because, I mean, he's our second joint scorer now, isn't he, with Jota on nine? Is he slipping under the radar, maybe not getting his flowers, so to speak, would you say? Absolutely. I, I kind of don't understand why he's so wildly underrated, and I really think he is. It's not just the fact that he doesn't have a song that gets sung, but I just think generally people don't massively appreciate him. I don't think, you know, he, he comes in, you know, Liverpool rotate so much throughout the season because they need to, and especially they're going to have to continue doing it if they're in four competitions. But, you know, anytime you see him on the team sheet, you're never disappointed. I always think he plays well. I think he's, you know, okay, well, he's not going to play well 100% of the time, but I always think he's sort of in and around that seven out of 10, you know, as a, as a minimum. He gets goals in big games, in big moments. He's composed in those moments. I love the way he, he helps out in build up. I think he's, you know, we, I think we've spoken before on this podcast last season about his Firmino like qualities to drop deep and hold people off and, and, and link play in that way. And he's so, so intelligent. And the fact he's, he's joint top, well, second scorer with Jota there with nine. And he's been playing in midfield quite frequently this season as well and, and doing a decent job there at times. I just think. He's so versatile, never complains, you know, so many great elements to his game. Against Fulham as well, actually, he spends a lot of time out wide right, which is not something I would have put in his skill set. 
And I thought he was yeah. he was so dangerous out there. The way him he linked up with Connor Bradley, that that threat down the right hand side was really decisive late in the game. It really gave Fulham something to think about. And you almost get the goal there with Nunez is very unlucky with the, with the link up with Bradley down the right. So I just think he's I think he's brilliant, versatile, intelligent. Uh, you know he's got strength, quality. He can finish. He's just got everything you want from a forward. And and the fact he's only twenty four as well, he's going to get even better. I just kind of wish, the only thing I wish really was that he got a little bit more praise and recognition from Liverpool supporters. I think he's just, I think he's a wonderful player and he, and he, and he does go under the radar. He does, you know, in comparison to Nunes, Jota, even Diaz and, and obviously Salah, of course. So I just think he's an absolute, you know, he's a, he's a top player and, and well worthy of being, of being part of those forward options. And he never, he never really lets you down. So yeah, top player and, and, and deserves more recognition. There is the interest, and you use the word a lot, which I always think for Cody Gakpo, versatility, that's the word that comes up. And maybe you can be a victim of that being played in different positions. It can be difficult to adapt, like you said, to the midfield, then the forward line one week or the next. If you were pressed, where would you say is his best position for Liverpool? If he was going to start, where do you think Gakpo would actually say, yeah, that's my main position, that's where I want to play? I mean, I guess from his perspective, he'd probably say the left wing in terms of he like you know he played a lot of football there for PSV. But for me, I really like him in that that centre forward role with Nunes on the left. I think it worked really well back in the last season. We've seen it a couple of times this season, and I like it. I just think he's so it just it completely replicates the dynamic you had previously with Firmino, and then a, and then a, a finisher on the outside in Mane. This time Nunes instead that threat in behind pace and power and. An ability to get into goal scoring positions inside the box. I just think he's he's tailor made for playing that false nine role with the, with with Salah and Nunez either side of him. You know, maybe we will not. You know, we won't be seeing a lot of that over the remainder of the season. Klopp really does like Nunez in that centre forward role and wants to put him there. And I, you know, Nunez has taken some big steps in terms of his ability to link play from that position. But he is always wanting to go in behind there a, a lot as well. So it's kind of. I just think Gakpo offers something completely different there. And I think the the problem is when he plays there and you don't have a Nunes on the left-hand side and you maybe have Diaz, is that you completely, you, you lack a lot in behind. And that that's yeah. maybe what's, you know, discouraging the manager from going with it. But like I say, if you can put Gakpo there as the main centre-forward with Nunes on the left, I, I, for me, that's a, a winning formula. And probably I would argue should be, in the biggest of games, should be should be what Liverpool start start with as a front three, and obviously Salah Salah on the right there. Yeah, it's interesting. It's good though because it means all the the front five options we call them. Right? We separate Salah naturally from that, but they're all sort of bubbling to a certain level now. They're all having impact, especially at a time when Salah is away, which is important. And I mean, the the positives continue. And I, I was probably I can be guilty of this. Connor Bradley. I mean, he had a great cameo against Arsenal. He was really good in this one. He got singled out by Jurgen Klopp. Is there a risk we could be getting too excited almost and putting like, this is Trent's cover, you know, we could move Trent up or like, this is, you know, solves a problem. Should we be that excited or do we just need to temper it for Conor Bradley? Why Why not get, get excited about it? I mean, these kids are coming through and every time we're, we're getting a nice surprise from them. And, and and I think, you know, Bradley, this is, it's not a huge shock in that sort of in pre-season, he looked, he looked electric. He was Bolton's player of the season when he was out there on loan as well. You know, this is a, a, a and, and that was as a, a kid, you know, to be doing that. So he's clearly a, a real, real talent. And I think, you know, we saw in pre-season how good he could be. And the fact that the manager trusts him to, to just throw him into this massive game, 
after a, a you know a surprise injury to Trent Alexander Arnold, he's he's absolutely no doubts about putting him in there. I just think it says a lot about the belief in him. So. And then, and then he, he totally lived up to it as well. You know, he, he showed everything you kind of want from your fullback in the Liverpool side. So, yeah, why, why not get get excited? You know, we, we, we're seeing kids come through at a kind of ridiculous rate at the moment, ones who actually look good enough to play for Liverpool. And this is, you know, there's a potential for a bit of a golden era for the academy at the moment. And, uh, yeah, that Bradley looks like the, the latest one off the production line, so to speak. And, and, and yeah, be, be excited about it. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing a little bit more of him until Trent comes back. Yeah, it does. It does feel that way. It's fair to say. Sometimes it's been a case of yeah, they're playing Europa, they get the chance. Is it to cover or rest, rotate, however you want to put it? But it does just feel different at the moment. Like these kids are making an impact, certain ones anyway. So yeah, long may it continue. And probably the other positive. I, I don't know if we're just coming to expect this too casually, but Curtis Jones again, a brilliant performance. Are, are we now moving away from the people want to say? Curtis Jones has taken step, leaps, however you wish to phrase it. But should we be putting Curtis Jones in? Like, this isn't an, an elite Premier League midfielder. Is that fair to say? Yeah, well, I, I think maybe since the back end of last season, in terms of, I think it's no coincidence he comes into the side and Liverpool's form, you know, completely transforms in that back end. I know the the change of system had a lot to do with it, but but also I thought Curtis Jones coming in added real solidity and intelligence yeah. to that midfield. And I do, I think he is an elite Premier League midfielder. I think... And he, he, you know, basically, the Liverpool and the, the, the coaching staff, Jurgen and his coaching staff, have they've ended up with what they wanted, which is a, basically a genie wine album type. And they, they, they've molded him, they've changed his game, um, and, I, and I think he absolutely has come, become that because it's you know he wins his duels consistently, always seems to end up with a passing accuracy above ninety percent, never gives the ball away basically, um, and he's also got that 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 threat that he had since he was in the academy in terms of his ability to drop the shoulder and break the lines, which is. Not something you saw a lot of from Wijnaldum. He was he was often more of a facilitator. So Jones can maybe have that little bit extra over him, and uh, you know he's, he's definitely got that in his locker. So yeah, lo- love him watching him play at the moment. I think the only the only doubt I've ever had about him was was his injury record, and could he was that just a case of as he was a young kid, you know, you you, you will got those those strains as you come through and those those difficult moments with your fitness. If he's shaken that off completely now, then then there, there is no doubt about how good he is, and I think. I kind of wonder if the people who were writing him off over the last couple of years or, or, or some of the, the things you'd see tweeted about him or written about him, um, whether some some people just feel completely daft now. Because I think to anyone who, you know, I don't think you had to be an elite level scout to see that this kid had it. I, I remember watching him come through in the under 18s and thinking, this guy is special. And, I, you know, I, I'm not a world-class talent spotter. I just... He just obviously did. And every time he was on the pitch for the first team, I think you could see what his qualities were. So, yeah, I think anyone who, who wrote him off should be kind of embarrassed about that. Maybe maybe they'll be a bit more reluctant, or I hope so, more, more reluctant to to write off any any young kids when they make mistakes as they're coming through. Because, you know, we, we've seen what we've seen what an elite player looks like when they're coming through now. And it's not always going to be perfect, as, as Jones has shown. But you can, you can always see when they're good enough. And I, I think that was obvious with Curtis Jones, that he had the temperament and the quality to make it at this level. And now now he's got this fitness sorted out. He's absolutely showing it. And I'm, I, yeah, loving every minute of it because I, I just think he's a, a, a brilliant footballer. He's, he's been brilliant. Goal contributions as well recently. And you're right. There's always one. It seems like Gravenberg's getting the treatment a bit, doesn't he? After he's had a bit of a dip as a young player, but yeah, absolutely shining, Curtis Jones. And normally, people, as you know, we do a, a player in focus, and we've we kind of steered away from Darwin Nunes, but 
just because of the it's the debate that everyone seems to have weekly. But we've almost got there. I mean, I'm almost calling this the the Nunes conundrum. I mean, Harvard were looking at Mo Salah's contract negotiations, weren't they, a study? And people are fascinated. I'm sure scientists are going to look back on Nunes' analysis in the in the near future. But the, the other night, David, I mean, that that just almost screamed Darwin Nunes because with his first two touches, he passed it to a Fulham player, literally. Yeah. But then, but then, literally. There was the there's cameos, isn't there, when he's stepping over on the line, beating people, like two assists that he comes away with. It just feels like that is Darwin Nunes, the full thing on display, so to speak. I mean, I'm throwing you a load of gun here, but how would you actually view his performances this season so far? Yeah, some some good and some bad. I think he's he's overall, and I've said this before, I've used this phrase before on the podcast, he's overall is a net positive for the team. And that's quite clear because he's starting starting and, and appearing in an awful lot of games for a side that is top of the league, that is going well in the Cups. You know, he, he can't be completely rubbish. There's just no chance. Um there's still there's still that roughness there, isn't there? I mean, that that needs to be knocked off, it needs to be sorted out, it needs to sort of get rid of those rough edges. You know, there's still work to do, and I I I don't agree with this um, assessment that, that that it's there in in some quarters where people are like, you know, he's he's just phenomenal, he's unbelievable. That you know, there there are elements of his game that need to improve, and and the manager will know that, the player himself will know that. Um, but he, but he's he is he's adding positivity to the team. I thought his performance against Fulham off the bench, he got those two couple of first touches out of his head immediately, and I thought it was just electric. As I said, I thought he changed the game completely in Liverpool's favour. He was the key sub above anything really, and the key change in the match. So uh, you know, you just want to keep keep that going. Hope that you know, I want to see more of that from him. He's on one goal in sixteen at the moment, by the way, for Liverpool, yeah. which isn't good enough. I don't want you know, I'm, I'm seeing people saying. Oh well, he's you know he's his goal and assist numbers over the season yeah, yeah. as they're including what he's doing for Uruguay. I don't think we should be doing that. I think we you know look at what he's doing for Liverpool and the goal the goal numbers do need to be better for a player who gets into positions. He does his movements brilliant. Um, some of that is luck, by the way. The one against Fulham, how Leno saves that is is, is ridiculous. You know yeah. he could have another five goals this season with a bit more luck, and, that, and maybe the numbers would look a lot better. But I want him to take look out of the equation sometimes. I want, you know, can, can he have a little bit more composure in those situations and completely find the corners? Can he can he just finish better? Because I think if he does that, and like I say, if he had another five goals this season or he goes on a little run where he gets, you know, seven in ten, his end of season numbers will look so much better. But he, but he has to do that at some point. I, I don't think we can get to the end of the season with this similar sort of erratic finishing and poor look combined. And, and think that runs of one in 16 are, are, are good enough because he, he needs that to click. But I, I think we just see signs that it will. Um, you know, I, 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 I've not completely lost faith in him that, that that will click at some point. I think he will get luckier at, at stages, but the, there has to be more to come. We can't say that this is just it. I think, um, you know, you can't be happy with that because if Liverpool get into a season where they're back in the Champions League, that the difficulty of the games and the, the, you know, yes, they're in four competitions at the moment, but it gets much trickier when you're in the Champions League and, and Nunes needs to hit back to that level where he's, he's Champions League fin- uh, quality in terms of his finishing and all-round game. And I think he's just below that at the moment, but it could, you know, we feel like we're very close all the time to it to it turning a corner. And as I say, performances like that against Fulham will, will only help his confidence because I thought he's, yeah, phenomenal off the bench. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. 
I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a tad predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah, Jurgen Klopp said it a lot, didn't he, after the press? Unlucky. I've never seen a player so unlucky, which is probably true, like you say. I think I think there was a couple more just hit Leno rather than he saved it, no matter what he classed them as. But lucky won't go all the way till the end of the season. You won't get, you know, you won't get away with that. I mean, we saw it in this game and you mentioned him. He was on the left. And but Jurgen Klopp's mainly used him in the middle. Is it okay to say he flips between the two, or do you think the left is his best position realistically? I like him on the left more at the minute, but just because I think it masks some of his weaknesses. Um, I, I think, you know, there are still weaknesses to a game that are obviously constantly being worked on in training. And I suppose the manager would say, well, if you're working on his weaknesses as an out-and-out number nine, you've got to play him there in games. You've got to give him that experience. And that that would be a completely fair argument. But as I say, I think in the biggest of games, kind of like him just being pushed out to that left position. As I say, I think it does mask some of his weaknesses. I think he finds it easier to find the offside line when he's in a wide position. He, you know, you can judge it because you're looking all along the line. That is easier for him uh, than when he's, when he's centre forward. And, you know, in terms of some of the sloppiness of his build-up, again, that that get ma- gets masked. And, you know, it, it's easy for Liverpool when he's in that left side to just think, yeah, it's like Sadio Mane. You're just putting him in behind to put him into goal-scoring positions. He's doing that out-to-win run that, really, you know, he's, he's, he's good at and really suits him. And that, you know, and he likes to finish that one into the far corner as well. Again, that is probably one of his favourite finishes. So, you know, that that's why I like him on the left. But again, I... You know, for me, it's easy for me to say it's his best position. But you know, the manager, like as I say, will probably look at it as like we've got to give him his games in central position. So I think we'll see a mix of that between now and the end of the season. As I say, I want to see Gakpo in that central role, and I would love to see a little bit more of that. But I think we will we'll see a mix. And as I say, I just hope wherever he's playing that his, his look turns a little bit, and we see a little bit more of, of finesse in his finishing because we know we know it's there as well. Some of the finishes he pulled out for Benfica at Anfield, you know, he, he's got that class. Yeah. He just needs to get out of his own head a little bit at times, I think. Yeah, it's, it's like you say, whether it's his own head, composure, whatever it may be. And I mean, he's a top assist maker, isn't he? He's got 10 so far this season. So he's above Salah, he's above Trent. Whether it's left, middle, wherever he's going to play, do you get the feeling that if Liverpool are going to have a successful season or it's going to be defined as such, he's going to be central and it might even need to turn a bit if it is going to be defined as central or successful, I should say, for him. Yeah, absolutely. They need, they need him to keep up those numbers in terms of he has to be keeping up these goal contributions. If he's not scoring, he needs to be assisting and we hope he is scoring as well. You know, if you can get that right, then we've got an absolute monster on your hands, really, haven't you? Um, he, he needs to, yeah, he absolutely needs to keep up those numbers. And I think the, the interesting thing is about the assists as well. If you go back and you look at them, the composure he shows in some of them, he's not just lashing the ball across the box and it's... Yeah. 
it's bound in enough somewhere. Some of these are like really picked out passes, really takes a second to compose himself and, and put the one the one for Gakpo against Fulham I thought was great in terms of he, he just dinks it over the defender's foot. It's it's perfectly for him to sweep it in. It's exactly what a striker wants the, the ball to just bounce in front of them like that so they can sweep it home in that position. So I do, you know, it's it's just mad that he can't find that in his, his finishing at times or it deserts him at, on occasion. Um, but yeah, as I, as I say, I think we're, we're close to the click now. And I think, like I say, that, that all he needs to do really is keep those goal contributions up. If, you know, if he doesn't score between now and the end of the season, but he gets another 15 assists, then that's absolutely fine if that's what he's going to be because Liverpool will probably be scoring enough goals in, in those circumstances. Yeah. Your one worry is that, you know, Manchester City come to Anfield and uh, and he misses a one on one in the 90th minute at nil nil and, and Liverpool lose the the title by a point. You know that that that's the kind of situation you you fear really. So you know hopefully that that's why you want the finishing to turn and him to get on a little bit of a run because you just fear that big moment will will hurt him at some point. But he, yeah, he's getting goal contributions at the moment and I think that that allied to everything else he, he adds to Liverpool in terms of overall threat and his defensive work as well. Yeah, he, he is that net positive. We just we just want a little bit more from him, and I, I feel like I feel like he could get on a little run between now and the end of the season. I'm I'm hoping for it anyway. I think yeah, I think the ultimate thing with the Nunes conundrum is nothing would surprise you really before the yeah. end of the season, or like whether it's like say net positive. However, it goes, we have a run of both, but he's going to be key because Darwin seems to be key to everything with Liverpool a lot of the time. So it will be interesting to watch and. Transfer updates for everyone listening. We're not avoiding that. It's still the same lines around this. As we all know, there's no one set to come in. I mean, outgoings-wise, it still seems to be a sort of a lone situation. Players moving around, David. So I know you've written a few bits on that, that Carvalho's gone to, to Hall, Chambers to Wigan now as well. Is there any others that you're sort of hearing or expecting to, to move along, even on that temporary nature? Yeah, still, still expect Reese Williams to to find another move. Or that's certainly the hope from the club side is that they can find him somewhere because obviously it didn't didn't go to plan for him at Aberdeen. Um, in terms of whether it opens up opportunities for other kids to maybe go out, is a, is a kind of interesting one. I mean, I, I said I think on the last podcast that I thought I expected Luke Chambers to go because Owen Beck was co- was coming back. What yeah. one that kind of interests me, and I, I maybe wouldn't fully rule out, is the the possibility of Owen Beck going back to Dundee. I, I just that's not something I've had a sort of uh, a line on or, or or anything like that. But just with both left backs coming back soon, yeah. uh, you know, he was doing really well at Dundee. If it's going to get to a situation at the end of January where you've got both of those left backs back in full training and ready to go, it would make so much sense to me to send him back. Obviously, he can't. You can't play for three clubs in a season, so he would have it would be Dundee that he'd have to go back to if he if he in fact actually appears for Liverpool all over this period. Um, but yeah, I, 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 that's one that I just wouldn't fully rule out because I know they see the value of him sticking around and being in training. But you know, if, if there's two left backs ahead of him, it just doesn't maybe seem right. And I, I just wonder whether that that would be something we could see right at the end of the window because I, I, I kind of hope that does happen for him because I think. He was doing so well. They've disrupted it a little bit now. You know, Dundee would love to have him back. So that that's one to maybe keep an eye on. Yeah, it's it almost feels like with Owen Beck, it'll come down to that, whether it's Bristol City or Norwich, do they want to use him in the FA Cup to rest Joe Gomez? But yeah. like you said, the knock-on implications then are you kind of stop the lad, especially when Syndicast and Robbo are back, of having any real kick-on. So they, they will have to make a call on that as well. I mean... 
the thing about loans is, and I know you'll have seen this, people are pound star, Liverpool's loans, they're all going wrong, they're all coming back, all those types of things. Do you think there's an element where, just to almost reshape the thinking, not every loan's going to work, not every player is going to go on to play for Liverpool. That's, you know, the level's so high in a good way, that's just the nature of how it works. But also, as long as the likes of a, a Harvey a Connor Bradley, a Quanta, just get that bit of experience, look at how it aids them along the way. That's what it's all about, really, for the club. Should we be looking at it as in terms of that way, or is it fair to say maybe we're not getting them right, so to speak? Yeah, no, I think it's fair to to criticise. I don't I don't think everyone should be protected from that. Like, you know, for example, the, the Reese Williams loan to Aberdeen, you know, Liverpool will look on that and think that was a you know disaster that didn't go well. We we'd done well with with sending Leighton Clarkson there. Uh, yeah. We obviously thought there were similar guarantees around game time here and that Reese Williams would do well enough to, to force his way in. But obviously that hasn't happened in the end. And there's a lot of factors behind that in terms of, you know, what the manager thinks. Is there an experienced player he wants to go to because things aren't particularly going well? You know, there's got to be real value for them to see in in essentially developing a Liverpool player. So it is hard to judge, but I don't think anyone at Liverpool who, who manages the loans will be absolutely made up with how th- some of these have worked out. You know, they, they they want these players to go out and play, so, you know, they, they'll be self-critical, if anything, about how, how some of these have gone. Again, you know, there are other factors. I mentioned managers there. Calvin Ramsey, I don't think you can criticise in terms of the Preston one because he had an injury right at the start when he was supposed to yeah. be pressing and it's just not worked out after that. That that can happen. That's that's just bad luck more than anything else. So, um, yeah, and, and say Fabio Carvalho is a good example, in fact, because, you know, he, he went to Leipzig and, and the hope was he'd get minutes there. But ultimately, that wasn't a move that Liverpool were absolutely desperate to sanction. They would have much preferred him to go on a Premier League loan. I know, for example, I think West Ham was sniffing around him. Burnley were definitely interested at the time. Liverpool would have 100% would have preferred to, to sanction a, a, a local move, really, but it was the player and the player's representative had really pushed to get into Leipzig because Leipzig had, had tried to sign him from Fulham when he initially left. So, you know, they, they, they were desperate to get him out there thinking that he would be guaranteed minutes because he was so loved by the hierarchy there. And obviously with that, that didn't work out in the end. They signed Javi Simons, who, who just took a lot of minutes from him. So, um, yeah, things like that can happen. I think it's, it, but it's all about the one good thing you can say about Liverpool around this is that as soon as it isn't working out, they, they bite the bullet, bring them back and try and find them another move. And, and they've, they've already done that with Carvalho. That's the aim with Reese Williams. Be interested to see what happens with Calvin Ramsey, whether a similar thing in terms of they can fire him out towards the end of the window. Um, so I think, I think that's, that, that's where they deserve praise, but I don't think you, you can say, you know, you're not being overcritical by saying some of these loans haven't worked out because they they, they haven't been moves, and and for some of those players, they've they've lost six months of the career. So you know, it, it is fair to, to to say that and point that out. And Liverpool will want to be better in picking loan moves going forward for some of these players, even if there are factors that are out of the control in 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 some situations. Yeah, absolutely. It just seems about regular football, doesn't it? Whatever level that may be about, picking it carefully and. Uh, it was kind of a question, but I think it was fair to, to link it to this. I like what was asked. With Bradley and Kwanzaa and their breakthrough recently into the, the team, do you think those two have played a part or an impact in changing the summer thinking, as in will Liverpool think, hold on, is the centre-back we want such a priority or what standard or the same with right-back? Do you think they have had a knock-on effect into the summer at all or is it will still be, no, they're just another option in that regard? No, absolutely. They, they, they should be. I mean, if if Liverpool are thinking about centre-halves, you know, surely, surely 
Joel Quanta comes into you thinking as well. Do we do we need a, another centre back? Do do we desperately need one? Uh, you know, I I think it'd be madness if he think if he hasn't come into the thinking in that regard. Now, the 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 best judgment of it will be sort of obviously they watch him every day in training, so they see weaknesses that we've maybe not seen. They've seen elements of his game where they might think he's not gonna he's not gonna cut it here. You know, maybe we relegate him to fifth choice for next season. He gets the odd game and then. You know, we, we bring someone else in who we've got a little bit more faith in. But, you know, I absolutely think that the academy players will be having an effect on the the, the thinking around transfer business because that is how, how it should be. That's how Curtis Jones ends up in the midfield because you don't sign someone to block his pathway. Those are those are decisions that managers have to make all the time. And and so, yeah, absolutely, these two will be affecting things. But it's that judgment call won't just be made on the basis of the games that we see. It won't be just Jarrell Quanta over the remainder of the season, how many games he plays. Bradley for this, probably maybe two or three more games that he gets before Trent is back. And then we probably don't see him between now and the end of the season, if we're honest. Um, I, I think it's everything that they do in training around that and whether they, you know, Connor Bradley in particular, can he make a case to be Trent's backup next season, move Joe Gomez back to being basically a pure centre-half backup. And then all of a sudden your defence looks a lot stronger if Bradley is good enough to play that role. As I say, I can't judge that. Um, I, I, I really like what he did against Fulham and I like what he did in pre-season, but we, we will have to see in terms of you know wh- whether he's shown consistently in training that he is good enough to be that that backup into the coming season, but it one hundred percent with this manager is always a factor to think about. Is that that if he can get someone from the academy he thinks is good enough, he won't just go out and buy for the sake of it. And I, I think you know it's not just saving money for Liverpool. It's not just about that or FSG being cheap. It's which I know some people will ca- categorize it as that. Um, it, it, it's about the fact that if you know if you can get Connor Bradley to be Trent, Trent's backup. Joe Gomez doesn't have to do that anymore. He moves into centre-half. Suddenly your options there are a lot less, you know, you, you've got four really top quality options. It protects Joe Gomez from injury a little bit more. It really, you know, looks after your players in there. You know, you, you're looking really, really strong in defence there and you haven't spent any money. And then all yeah. of a sudden, if you do, they do find something in midfield, they want that Thiago replacement because he's going to go um, you know, or, or they've got, they maybe think they want another attacker who's maybe younger who can succeed Salah if they keep Salah for another season, or maybe if they have to replace Salah, of course. All that money is then freed up to be ploughed into that area that you, of weakness, and I just think that's the benefit of having an academy that's producing players. And and, and you know, I'd really love for both those two to to go on and be be mainstays in the first team because I think there's nothing more exciting than getting someone through the academy. And that and as I say, that that even frees you up for a a superstar signing like maybe Kylian Mbappe on the left-hand side, maybe. You know someone's going to be twitching this. <laughs> or that. But yeah, that is, that is not as advertised anything. But yeah, no, it, it is right. Like The money they'll save, especially at how much would a Jarrell Quanta fetch right now on the market based on what we've seen. And like you said, the knock-on impact, it's smarter investments, less chances taken as well. So fingers crossed, they, they are in this conversation when we're talking about it at the end of the season as well. And I mean, speaking of the end of the season, we asked you just after the City game, stick or twist in, we said, would you take it now if we offered you second and one or two trophies or would you just let it roll for a title chance? We call it the title teaser back then. I might be wrong, but I'm guessing the answer ain't changed at all from what you've answered after City. No, absolutely. Let let it go. Like I, I just think you know they, they, they're going so well, aren't they? And and, and there's, there's there's so much to look forward to. And I just think you know Liverpool in, in this period as well. If you can just get through these next couple of games in particular, 
um, have got so many players coming back that the, the squad's going to suddenly start to look stronger and they'll look, you know, in, in, in good shape to really kick on. So I think it's just a really exciting time and, and, and I've got so much faith in these players and this manager that, yeah, absolutely let it roll on and see what Liverpool end up with and, and hopefully that's a couple of trophies and one of them being the, the Premier League title. See, it's, it's a strange one because we've mentioned all these players I and mean, we've analysed players individually and we, we kind of mentioned him in snippets, but the one person for this season that you think is going to bring the success, we probably haven't maybe talked about Jurgen Klopp that much, but as you said, if you think back like a year ago, it was about a year ago, he was almost apologising away at Brighton, wasn't he? Like hands to the, to the fans, we chanting his name and there was worries about what it might be. Fast forward a year now, I mean... Does, he, he just seems, I don't know what you think, almost revitalised. He looks energetic, refreshed. And also, like you mentioned, he's, I can't think of another manager that's getting the subs almost right 99.99% of the time. Is are we almost? Is he getting overlooked a bit in regards to what's happening? Is, is, I want to say Jurgen Klopp's back because that indicates that he went somewhere, but it just revitalised would be the word I'd use. Does that seem fair? Yeah, it looks like he's enjoying it a lot more, but I suppose that's not particularly surprising given that he's a uber-competitive uh, football manager and who never wants anything else but to but to win. I just think it is, it's great to see him back and he is clearly enjoying the, the process of, not just the fact that Liverpool are winning all the time, the process of sort of developing this team. You know, he's talked a lot in press conferences recently about sort of some of those early season struggles like the, you know, the game against Tottenham or, or, or yeah. so many games where they got so many red cards in the early part of the season they had a lot to sort of get themselves through and and, and how that shaped his squad and, and and sort of that that adversity really has brought them all together he he seems to really enjoy that element of it of like of, of building a team in that way and, and 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 building a team for the season and and this is our squad this is what we've got what can we win together as a group and yeah he, he seems to be absolutely loving that and I think again you know, similarly to the Curtis Jones thing, actually, I mentioned this, uh, you know, just because I'm, I'm, I've got an axe to grind. But can you, you know, I saw so many tweets last season about, you know, Klopp's got to go, That you know, he's clearly not, he's not the man for the job anymore. He's he's hit a brick wall. This is, you know, he, he, he should step down, blah, blah, blah. He was like, again, anyone who said that should be possibly banned from having opinions on football because it, I can't believe that anyone doubted him I mean he's tr- not just off the basis of his track record but even last season it was so obvious what Liverpool's problems were Yeah, he couldn't spell it out in press conferences because he couldn't go Jordan Henson's legs have completely gone my, Fabinho is finished my, my, my midfield is a complete issue that I cannot solve with what I've got he can't come out and say that, but it was clear that he, he didn't enjoy losing. He was tetchy he, and he knew what was needed to get back there. And he's consistently shown as well that his ability to build a team and the fact he solved it in one summer, pretty much. I mean, you know, Liverpool may or may not, I think I'm sure they'll win something this season, but you know, they're clearly back to, to, to performing at that ridiculously high level again. And I just think it, it, was, it was never, ever in my mind, uh, even any doubts whatsoever that Jurgen Klopp wasn't the right manager to turn this around. And Liverpool are so lucky to have him. And I'm sure they'll find that out when he leaves, actually. And the fans who maybe underestimate that will, 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 you know, get a rude awakening on that front. But it's, as I say, I just, I, I find it absolutely incredible that anyone doubted him. And, and, and I, I certainly personally never did. Um, and great to see him back and great to see him enjoying things and, and, and having built this, you know, potentially second great side. I just really hope, you know, more than anything, really, I would love to see Liverpool win the title just to give him another one, to give him one with the fans in the ground as well, because he yeah. 
work he's done is ridiculous at the football club, and I just think he, you know, he more than anyone would 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 deserve that that extra honour and, and to to lift to lift the trophy in front of a full Anfield would be just yeah the the, the sort of the, the the cherry on top of the cake really. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Be unreal. Yeah, I mean, we, we've talked about renewals, haven't we, for Salah, Trent, Van. I'd trade them all for a Jurgen Klopp extension, by the way, in a heartbeat. I was just being honest, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Don't even want to look at that option long term. I mean, the only thing that that's, and people are looking at everything at the moment, aren't they? Things are getting hyper analysed. That everyone thinks the world's caving in because De Bruyne is back and City get a late winner. That's the the latest thing. And the other thing that I see keep coming up a bit is late winners. We can't keep relying on these late winners. This thing that we go to the end, you won't get away with that forever. And I know we kind of alluded that to that in some ways. You hope you know stop conceding early, do things in the first half, but. It is still a positive, isn't it? That ability to go to the end, that resilience. We shouldn't be looking at it as a negative, should we? No, well, I mean, for some reason, you know, City score a late winner, it's absolute concrete proof that they're going to go on and win the title. Whereas if Liverpool score one, some Liverpool fans believe that's a a sign that the team isn't good enough in some regard and they, they should be blowing teams away in the first half. I mean... Absolutely, you know you don't want to be doing it every week. You you would like to to win some games nice and early, if for no other reason than to sort of be able to make some subs early in games that are, you know in sixty minutes to to rest some key players. You know, manage Trent through some games by bringing him off early. You know things like that. You it would be nice to have some more comfortable afternoons where you can you can rest on the ball almost four nil up after sixty minutes or whatever. And that would be great. But as you say, I, I don't take it as a negative that this team has got A, quality off the bench and B, unbelievable mentality. And, you know, that, that that's that's absolutely part of winning the title and, and, and should be, you know, if you feel down about City scoring that late winner, just think how many Liverpool have got and how much they've shown their metal and the fact that Liverpool are top of the league, by the way. Um, it, it's probably worth remembering when, when people reflect on City's form and, and the potential return of De Bruyne. So, yeah, they're in a good, they're in a really good position. They've shown so many elements of a, a title winning side, and, and, and yes, City are good, but Liverpool only need to what they've got a two point gap now, a, a two point cushion. Just need to maintain that to the end of the season. They just need they don't need to do X, Y, or Z. They just need to be as good as City between now and the end of the season, and that that's the job. Yeah, 
And March the 9th, they come to Anfield as well, don't they? So, well, yeah, it feels like... What an opportunity that is, by the way, because in so many seasons, it's been the second game uh, of, of Man City-Liverpool has been at the Etihad. And you've always had that in the back of your mind, that fear of having to go there late in the season, you know, in a, in a decisive game. The fact that Liverpool have got them at Anfield, it, it, you know, which will be raucous. City don't like playing at Anfield. It's It's not a great ground for them. Um, you know, what an opportunity that is. If, if Liverpool can get, you know, slightly extend the cushion even somewhat in the build-up to that game and then and then they get a win, all of a sudden you're opening up a huge gap towards the end of the season. So that, as I say, that's the end, the aim. Just just keep your noses in front for as long as possible and, and hope that you're setting up that Anfield game for a big one where a win, you know, puts one hand on the trophy. Let's let's hope that's, that, that's how it plays out. Yeah, it's going to be a, as I say, that's why it's the eye of the storm. It all feels like that's about to kick off anytime soon and questions from the viewers naturally came in David and once we like we say we scratched off the name Mbappe and others and random transfer stuff we got it down to a, a select few now there's some good questions to be fair and I like some of the ones that, that we picked this week and it's a bit of a link to other things because FFP is naturally dominating the PSR calculations the headlines so Newcastle came up in that and other clubs naturally which we won't talk about but Bruno Guimaraes, that's a player that keeps getting linked to Liverpool in different outlets, shall we say. For your knowledge, is that a player that Liverpool have an interest in at all, would it be fair to say? Yeah, no, I know 100% they liked him at Leon, and the, the, you know he was one of the options they considered in the midfield before sort of eventually passing on him. And I, I think probably when they saw on the strength of his performances at Newcastle, they may have maybe regretted that because I think he's been quite good. But that said, you know, in terms of him possibly being available now, the, the number that's being thrown around is 100 million. And there's a big difference between signing him, in, signing him now at the age of 26 and signing him at the age of 24, um, you know, in terms of what you're going to get out of him. And I also think, I do wonder whether one of the reasons he passed on him and sort of, I didn't kind of realise this when he was playing well, but I've watched him recently when he's sort of had a little bit of a dip and he's actually kind of, un, it's under the radar how unbelievably slow he is. Um, and now, I, you know, not every player in your team has to be lightning fast. I don't think Alexis McAllister is lightning, as I say. Yeah. Um, but I, I just think for, for Bruno, I just, I, I just wonder if there's a massive appeal around signing him really to add him to that midfield. I just don't think there'd be any desperate needs for the numbers, for the age profile. And, 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 and you know, I just, I, I couldn't see it at this point, really, that they would they would go in and, and, and capitalise on Newcastle's weakness. I think, you know, if Newcastle do want to make a big sale like that to um, to sort of put themselves back in line with the, the Premier League and, and, and FFP spending rules, then, you know, they maybe would like to hope that, that PSG will come in and sort of slightly bail them out on that front. That, that would be the, their dream because I don't think Liverpool, if Liverpool were doing that, I, I think they'd drive a harder bargain than to pay anywhere near £100 million for a for a player who's sort of, you know, approaching those years where he might dip past his peak slightly. Yeah, it's it just feels like there's almost that category of player that they're talented, but I almost put Jared Bowen in there. 26 and over is just not a FSG Liverpool signing, isn't it? It's not the age we get them at so to speak, in that regard. So, yeah, I'm feeling the same, but it came up from quite a few, so I think it was good to ask. And I suppose this is in the news as well. I'm sure you've seen it, the, the Jordan Henderson situation and what's happening with him, and people asked about that. I, I kind of get this, that the way it's gone for him, it's not really worked out for, for Benzema either and others. I, I like the way people link this, and I get this. I think it's a good question to ask. Do you think it increases the chances of most Salah looking and thinking... 
maybe not. Maybe this is the place to stay. And just because of his hunger anyway, do you think it helps us at all in that regard? Absolutely. I think that's a fair point. Um, I, I wrote something sort of making that similar argument actually the last week where I just don't see how he can look at this project and think it's anywhere near far enough along to make it worthwhile sacrificing some of the best years of his career. I mean, there's, there's a decline coming at some point with Mo Salah. It's, it's absolutely is in the post. It's going to happen. He's not that superhuman as good as he is. Yeah. Um, but he might think, it, you know, he's got another two or three years maybe playing at this level or quite close to it before that sort of sets in, particularly with the way he looks after himself. So to go to Saudi Arabia now when he's, what is he on, 22 goal contributions in the Premier League, he's joint top goal scorer with 14 goals with, with Erling Haaland and eight assists, which Haaland doesn't get anywhere near. Um, so he's, you know, arguably the best player in the Premier League at the moment. Why why would he would he go to Saudi Arabia now? You know, the money that's on offer is, is probably always going to be on offer. Um, and he's extremely wealthy anyway. So, you know, I, I don't think he's short of a, a few quid. So, and I just think, you know, in terms of cementing your legacy, it, it just, this, this isn't the right time. I, I, you know, I thought I made the mistake 12 months ago, of basically thinking as soon as Liverpool had fended off that interest that, well, we're going to see this again next summer, yeah. Liverpool's negotiating position will be weaker. And that deal is 100% going to happen this summer. But, the strength of Salah's performances and the fact that Liverpool are not just back in top four contention now, they're not just going to go back in the Champions League, they're in a title race, they're challenging for top honours. That suggests to me that, the, you know, for both club and player, there's value in extending this a little bit longer. Now, that's not going to be an easy negotiation because, as I say, you've got to factor in, you know, last time when they, when they were in contract talks, you were essentially giving the biggest contract in Liverpool's history to one of the best players in the world, probably in the top five yeah. best players in the world. That, that is a, a straightforward negotiation in that regard. It's big money to a, to a big, big player. This time, they have got to factor in that he might wane at some point, even though we're not seeing it yet. Um, and obviously, the player will push back against that idea. He'll probably say, well, I'll be top level for, for the next five years, What you know, no matter what you say. So, that's that's difficult, but I think it makes too much sense at the moment for player and, and club to continue together. That Saudi move just doesn't look appealing at the moment. It's it's you know the, the fact that Benzema not not just Henderson, but you know it's not worked out for Firmino. Benzema is a, a top top player who's not worked out for. He's not finding it great over there, and you know. I just, yeah, it, it, there's just too many reasons really for him to not think that this is the time to go over there and play in front of 9,000 uh, 9, people in some games. So I think that's, yeah, that's one to keep an eye on. I don't, again, I don't think that's something that gets resolved between now and the end of the season. I think that talk and that discussion happens in the summer and, and when, when the player's got a year out, probably going to get those offers in and, and, and him and Liverpool have to sit down and, and thrash it out. But, you know, I, I suppose we can't actually rule out the fact that he would run his contract down just yeah. to sell that option as well. So, you know, but it, but I think his chances of staying apt to, to go back to the main question rather than this rant that I'm going on is, is to is to say that his chances of staying absolutely have increased. Um, and I, yeah, would love to see him tied down to it for, you know, another two years or something like that. It would be, be fantastic news to Liverpool. And I think the, the likelihood of that has massively increased. I think you're right, though, that you can't see it even starting before the summer because they're going to have to get Mo Salah's thoughts, like what does he want to do? That's yeah. going to drive everything. And as you said, the, the highest paid player by some distance, even with his bonus ever, like how do they factor in? Like, And it's a great point you make. It's, it's an easier negotiation at 29 than it was at 32, isn't it, as we've seen with those years. So it will be a tough... For Liverpool, as much as the 
the player that way as well. It will be interesting to see. And the final question, which I also, I really like this one, that Kwanzaa and Bradley seem to have been the two that, not just a, a youth player coming through, but making a real impact. And we could even say like, if those two started, you're not almost worried at all, are you, in that regard at the moment in time? With that in mind, whatever platitude you want to use, whether the next one off the line, cab off the right, who would you say you're looking at in the youth options that not just could play, but could really be part of that first team squad? Is there anyone you think, I think that's the next one for that? Yeah, I, I think the obvious go-to is, is Bobby Clark at the moment in terms of because he, he is he genuinely is close um, in terms of I mean it's a it's a hard area to to break into that part of the pitch but he he just has a lot profile-wise that I like about him in terms of you know he, he played a lot on the wing at times but he he is a central midfielder is that that's what they're trying to mold him into that sort of right-hand side of number eight you know sim- like obviously it's an unfair comparison because Sobers like brilliant but but. Profile-wise, there's some similarities there, um, and I really, really like that. So I can see a fit for him. Um, so that that's kind of why I, you know it, it's just whether those opportunities present themselves. And I think that is the big. So uh, you know, Bobby Clark is essentially my answer. But I think the biggest, you know, in terms of who might be next, is where the opportunities present themselves. You know, good fortune is massive in this. I don't think anyone could have told you at the back end of last season that Jarrell Quanta would be anywhere near this Liverpool lineup, but because yeah. Because he stuck around, he had a good preseason. They were obviously impressed by him. And then Matip gets the injury. Then it, you know, the, the injuries in the early part of the season happen for him, and he comes into the lineup even before the Matip injury. That opportunity gives him a chance to to push his way in. And now we're thinking, you know, do Liverpool need to sign in that position? He, you know, is he good enough? You know, he, he's put himself in that conversation. So it's it's all about good fortune, really, in terms of. Where the, you know Bobby Clark could be could be good enough to to come in and maybe make a few appearances, but if if you don't lose Sobers Lie and and, and Gravenberg yeah, simultaneously, then he probably doesn't get his game. So and again, you know that's why I wouldn't maybe use Ben Doak as the answer here because I think it's ve- that's the toughest area of all to actually get in the team in terms of you know the the quality level that's needed to to be a winger in this Liverpool team is is so so high that. You know that that's going to really count against him, and he he would need maybe an injury crisis to really open things up for him. So it's all about you know Owen Beck could be close if if Liverpool get another left back injury crisis between yeah, now and the end of this. It's it, it is it's all about opportunity. So the the good news is, and the, the main takeaway really is that Liverpool are, are consistently now showing that they've got options that can come up from the academy and do that job. In, in multiple positions so that it, it's a really exciting time for the academy and, and anyone involved there and, and for the first team as well to see these guys coming through um, so it, it's, it's very difficult to predict who, who will be next into the first team but there, there's a you know there's a lot of talent in there waiting to go and um, uh, yeah just excited to see who gets the next opportunity really It's a great point as well because I mean the start of the summer and I, I was on record as saying it I was like Ben Doak, he's capable of like five goals, five assists. He'll be a six rotational option. Not his fault, but I say injuries are more luck and more the way the other five have performed ultimately, you know, in the season that's come into it. And yeah, I'd, I'd probably had Quanta going out on loan late with that fifth forward they were talking about all summer. Sorry, fifth defender coming in, the youngster in experience with many names that we went through. But like you say, it's just sometimes the injuries, the opportunity, and do they get the foot in the door that way? And maybe... Connor Bradley through his unluckiness at the start of the summer, but now he's definitely forced his way in and more than forced his way in, hasn't he, into the, the thinking that way. So 
it will be interesting to see, no doubts. And yeah, a lot to unpack still. And next time we're going to speak, David, it will be after Bournemouth, the Super Sunday game, isn't it? It's the Reds are back in action. We'll be gearing up as well for the second leg of the Carabao and hopefully talking about Wembley Day plans, things like that as well. But as ever, all it leaves me to say is thank you for your time and your insight as ever. It's much appreciated. Thank you for having me. And ladies and gents, that was another Media Matters for Anfield Index. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.